National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Imagine baptism without a godfather. Well, that's the reality in one Sicilian archdiocese that has banned the appointment of godfathers for the next three years. Register contributor Patty Armstrong gives us reasons godparents exist and explains how the Marlon Brando model of godfather gets it wrong. Then we talk with Register staff writer Peter Jesserer-Smith about the trouble some parishes are having with internet scams and what can be done to avoid them. I'm Jeanette DeMello, editor-in-chief of the National Catholic Register, joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen. Hi, Matthew. Hello, good to be with you. Well, the secular media made away with some interesting headlines about the Sicilian situation, stuff like about the land of godfathers, excising godfathers. (laughs) But the underlying reason for the decree is to safeguard the special role of godfathers, godparents, in the church. This week, Register contributor Patty Armstrong has been talking to sources for a Register story on this issue. Patty is an award-winning author, uh, and she's got uh, a couple of books out that we should mention, Holy Hacks, Everyday Ways to Live Your Faith and Get to Heaven, and Big Hearted, Inspiring Stories of Everyday Families. Patty and her husband, Mark, live in North Dakota, where they're still raising the tail end of their 10 children. Welcome back to Register Radio, Patty. Thank you, Jeanette. It's so nice to be on the show with you again. So what an interesting story uh, you've been been doing on this issue in, in Sicily over the ban of godfathers. Uh, describe to us what's happening there. Well, I could see why the secular media picked it up, because it, it is very strange. There is a three-year moratorium on having godparents at baptisms. We can't imagine such a thing, especially in the land of the godfather. But um, right. here... But but it's it's a very disturbing situation where rather than um, using the role to help accompany your children in their journey of faith, these these are um, creating ties, cementing ties with the criminal element of the actual mafia, where um, it's it's not about spiritual reasons; it's about um, criminal activity. And they take them under their wing, and you know it's it's very disturbing. So the Archbishop of Catania, it's an island on of, of Sicily, put a moratorium on it for three years. It's not the first time that that this has happened. Uh, I mean, they've had to do this before uh, because of these alliances, as you said, often criminal alliances that are are happening in the choosing of godparents. I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened in Sicily. And in fact, the Holy Father has spoken about uh, this before. Yes, in 2014, um, he was in Regil, Calabria. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing it correctly. And the archbishop there had talked to the Pope about possibly putting a 10-year moratorium. Now, I, I don't believe that ever did happen, but uh, Pope Francis was there, and at a mass where there were 200,000 people, he said, to, he addressed the crowd, and he said, those who in their lives follow this path of evil, as mafioso do, are not in communion with God. They are excommunicated. So, I mean, he had some stern words wow. for them. Yeah, uh, Patty, uh, it, one of the misconceptions that some people have is that uh, you actually have to have a godparent. So, what first, what is the church's laws on this, and uh, what is a proper role of godparents? 
Um, yes, it, it's technically you don't have to, but there is a code of canon law and, and the, it states that godparents are the ideal insofar as possible a person is to be baptized with a given sponsor. And the way it started is uh, one of the people I interviewed was, um, let me get his name here, Dr. Timothy O'Malley, and he's Notre Dame's Director of Education and a um, professor uh, in the Department of Theology. And he said that originally it came about through the rite of Christian initiation when adults were preparing to join the church. And so you would have a sponsor accompany you on that journey, help you, guide you, support you. Um, but then as when the adult initiation as the norm began to be more turned towards infants and getting that baptism right at the beginning, then the preparation was more towards preparing the parents, but you still had that idea of sponsorship. So that's really where the role of godparents came from. It's really interesting. I mean, today, I, I, the United States doesn't necessarily have this problem of, of these alliances, right, with the mafia um, and choosing godparents. But there are some issues, I think, Patty, that come up in, in the choice of godparents that, that we aren't uh, choosing them well either. Um, what did your sources say about that? Oh, I talked with Father Mitch Pacwa, who, who said as much, and I also talked with Father Robert Mateague, and, um, who, who hosts and produces the Catholic Current Radio Show. And he talked about um, that, yes, this is of concern, that you would be using the, the role of godparent to cement criminal ties. But we have to also look closer to home and ask, what are we using these roles for? That so often... It's like, oh, I want to honor my brother. Oh, he's mm-hmm. going to have fun at the party getting his picture taken or just a name on the certificate, the baptismal certificate. But that really, um, you know, back originally, the lifespan tended to be shorter. Um, life was more fragile. And you wanted to make sure that the godparent was going to make sure that your child was raised in the faith. And we tend not to think about that as much. But a lot of families still do think about it seriously is they want somebody to be in their child's life to support their children um, and guide them. So like Father Packer said, these are the people that should be giving them gifts that maybe relate to the Catholic life and their journey, not just getting them, you know, a a new video game, but maybe getting them a good book or, uh, you know, a statue or a rosary. Um, that we really should be taking these roles seriously, both as parents when selecting the people that we want to be in our children's life, and as godparents. Godparents, like, we have a sacred responsibility to our godchildren. And if if we haven't realized it in the beginning, well, we could start realizing it right now and get serious about it, and at least every day to be praying for our godchildren. Absolutely, absolutely. This is Jeanette DeMello on Register Radio. I'm talking to Register contributor Patty Armstrong about the role of godparents. You know, Patty, this makes me think of um, a, a friend of mine. She's got uh, seven kids, and her, her older kids are in high school. And, and I, she heard a presentation by a youth minister one time that said, uh, the, she, the minister was quoting a statistic, which I don't have, but that, you know, young people need 
uh, three or four other adults in their lives that reinforced the faith. And that, I don't know the exact number of other, other adults that reinforce the faith. But when they do, those kids stay Catholic. So the whole point was, the more adults you have in your life modeling the faith, the more likely, and statistically, show, statistics show this, the more likely you are to continue to practice. Well, that just makes me think of godparents, because that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to yeah. model in the lives of our godchildren... Um, the faith and and encourage them along and and uh, and we can do that at a distance and we can do that especially when we're in person. Uh, what are some of the ways, um, Patty, besides praying for them every day, uh, that we could really help them and model the faith? I think just trying to establish a relationship with them in mm-hmm. some way. Now, with having ten kids, I've got. A whole assortment of godparents, <laughs> and you don't you don't always know how things are going to turn out when you when your baby's just little. Um, you know, as the years go on, not all our all the godparents have been, you know, what we would hoped for, and not really being a part of our kids' lives. But some, oh my gosh, you know, I have one that's almost like a second mother to one of mm. my daughters, um, and so just in, and I know you're a parent, and so you start to realize the things that me that are important to you, and I think. Um, number one, just establishing a relationship. If you only are talking about religion with them, well, that's good. That's a good topic. But what about that relationship? Because if you want to influence that person, you know, it, it makes a big difference that they feel loved by you and cared by you, and they feel like you know them. Um, that goes a long way. And and because we live in North Dakota, and I'm originally from uh, Michigan, and I didn't have family around, you can often feel very isolated. So instead of feeling isolated, when you have more people around you, I think the child is going to question their faith less because they're surrounded by people so strong in their faith. It's a given, you know, or if they do question, they will look to those people as examples or to help them through it. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's very important. I, I, one little, little thing that could help and it, it helps the family as well is even to remember the baptismal date. And sometimes we might have to go back and look at pictures or, or our calendars way back when to even remember baptismal dates. But when we do, um, we can celebrate those like birthdays, right? I mean, it's, it's an opportunity, um, to really uh, make a special mark on that day that we uh, entered the church um, and became children of God. Uh, I try, I don't always remember, at at, um, Easter time even, to take out baptismal candles, uh, for example, um, because they're like Easter candles. They they are Easter candles for us because we enter into a new life at baptism. So there's all sorts of, I think, fun things uh, that we can do to try and remember and make those days special, and, and not just religious, but as you say, I think to really build those relationships, Patty, that's a very good reminder. Uh, you know, there was one uh, story in your uh, story uh, that I think uh, is going gonna, is gonna to be interesting, I think, to our, our listeners. Patty, I just want you to tease it. Don't tell the whole story, but um, Father Mitch Packle okay. had a really interesting, interesting story. Oh my gosh, did he? If you want to know what the mafia is like, you'll want to read this story because he experienced it in a just horrendous way, up close and personal to really get a handle on, this isn't just some fun movie with, about the Godfather. This is real serious stuff. And when right. you read the story, 
you realize what the archbishop and some of these dioceses where the mafia is active, what they are really dealing with. I okay, mean, it, so it is very disturbing. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's a little tease for Patty Armstrong's story at ncregister.com. If you want to uh, read more from Patty Armstrong, go to ncregister.com and search Patty Armstrong. When we come back, we'll turn to Peter Jesserer Smith for a story about internet scams at Catholic parishes. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. It's never too late. And I've just started listening to Catholic Radio in the mornings to listen to Mass, and all of a sudden I feel like I'm at a peace where I need to get back to my Catholic roots. Thank you for listening to EWTN Radio. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register. And as always, I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, my co-host. With more churches and Catholic organizations than ever before using digital technology, Internet scammers are looking at them as easy prey. But some simple best practices can help provide enormous protection. Peter Jesserer Smith, a register staff writer, wrote a story on this topic titled, When Fishers of Men Go After Churches, Here's How to Escape Their Nets. And that fishers is spelled with a P-H. Peter is a registered staff reporter. His wife and three children live in Rochester, New York. He joins us now. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Jeanette. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, we haven't talked in a while, so it's uh, good to have you back on Register Radio and uh, you know, this was a very unique story. I really hadn't thought that much about this particular issue um, in churches and organizations. Of course, I've seen it mm -hmm. before in, you know, just getting scam uh, messages myself, right? And many people have in their email, you know, asking, you know, for, for 30, you know, $300 or something, and, and I'm, I'm far away, whatever, can you send me $300? But Peter, how did you hear about this problem uh, related to churches? What, where had the story come across your desk? Sure. Well, actually, you know, one of the things is, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty involved in, in, in my own church and, uh, and, uh, you know, and we have a website as well. And, you know, people send us messages, things like that, that come through. Uh, so anyway, what had ended up happening was, uh, somebody sent us a message saying, I am an artist and, your church has illegally used my photos 
and I need you to uh, click this link right away or else there will be terrible legal you know, ramifications. And I thought to myself, all right, well, this is, this, this, this does not quite seem, this does not quite seem right. right. Now, being a, you know, being a journalist, you know, you, you tend to have maybe a little bit more skepticism and that, that part of your brain that says, well, wait a minute, let me take a step back. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure something's not, not right with this. Um, and, um, so anyway, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to bounce this off our web provider uh, the, the, the company that provides our, our website and t- to just double check. Uh, and then they confirmed, yes, this is a scam. Do not click that button. Do not touch that button at all. Bad things will happen. Right. Uh, so, you know, the thing is, is that like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a millennial and supposedly tech astute or whatever. Um, it's not true. <laughs> um, but I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of I wonder how many other people are getting this kind of this kind of message and who may be an older church volunteer um, who is, you know, trying to manage the websites, you know, take care of, you know, people as they come in looking for sacraments or, you know, information about the mass times. And then they get this kind of message, which is meant to literally terrify you into thinking you did something wrong. And most of us don't want to admit if we've done something wrong or something like that out that like that. So we want to fix it, and then you make a whole problem worse. So this is where kind of the investigation began. And I found out this is a big, massive problem. This is a this is a, a real risk and danger a lot of churches and people are facing, because thanks to the pandemic, we all made the great switch uh, online, which needed to happen. But as a result. A lot of us haven't woken up or have not been aware of the basic safety, you know, things that we need to be doing or, or, you know, common sense steps of security. Not that they would necessarily occur to us, but so Peter, uh, we're they're easy to do. With the, Peter, we're familiar with the Nigerian Prince scam uh, that uh, yes. probably showed up in every one of our inboxes. But one of the, the, the samples or the cases that you cited is uh, a, a priest, for example, who is... Uh, in a fake email address uh, saying that he was stranded in a Paris airport and needed cash, specifically $400 worth of Google cards to get back home. Now, that at first blush seems implausible, and yet we know that people do fall fall for these because they're good-hearted and they're kind. How large is this problem? I mean, how many scammers do you think are out there, and what are the dimensions of this? Well, yes, it works a lot. Just as he, just as you described, just as this this one priest uh, that I talked to had experienced, and a friend of his nearly fell for it, until a CVS worker said, "Wait a minute, you why don't you call this guy and just double check?" Wow. Um, of course he was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, he priest said, "I couldn't believe my friend nearly fell for that." But the reality is, is that this works. Right. I mean, it's a four People billion fall. dollars were. People fall for this all the time. $4 billion were lost in the United States um, by Americans being victimized by these scammers in 2020. And so, so the damage is usually a loss of, of income, really. I mean, it's it's people correct. who are paying and, uh, you know, 
this is this is a problem. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to lose four hundred dollars, and this happens repeatedly. Then a lot of people are are um, are just put out. What I understand is it could even be broader than that because if you do provide them with money or or, or you you know somehow give out a credit card, it, it just becomes infinitely worse. What what Peter have your sources? Um, I guess first of all, who who helps with these kind of problems, and and what what begin to tell us some of those best practices that they shared with you? Yeah, so I mean, there are um, a lot of uh, you know web providers are you know alert to these problems. I talked with I talked with eCatholic, which is I believe the largest provider of Catholic uh, websites. Um, right now in the world for, you know, churches, schools, et cetera. You know, so one of the things that they said is there's actually a couple things, couple things you can, you can do. One of which is that, you know, you got to get your password situation under control. Uh, you need, it helps to have complex, complicated passwords and not have one password for the entire church. Because if they get a hold of what that, if scammers get a hold of what that password is, it's like having a key that opens up all the locks in your building. They can get into anywhere, anything, bank accounts emptied, things like that. So what, but at the same time, you said you don't want to have passwords written down in places. One of the things that I learned, which was fascinating, frightening, was that there's a physical component to this as well. That if people see, you know, people go and visit your office, take a photo of the passwords you have on the computer, uh, that's one way of how you can get hacked. Um, so they, uh, you know, recommended getting a getting a, a password pr- protector. One, a couple of them mentioned was uh, uh, LastPass and um, uh, I think Password One. But basically, this is a way to you have a master password, and then what this program does is it creates unique passwords for all the other places that you need to get to. Uh, so. You only need to have one password, and it creates all these other keys. So that helps simplify the process. The other thing, too, they said was you got to be conscious about your physical plant. Having a website, you know, having a router exposed for everybody or having um, a public Internet that everybody in your church can just access is, you know, is, is not a great thing if it's connected to your, you know, your local area network for your your parish staff and things like that so keep that keep that separate keep that hardware separate um the other thing too that they mentioned was um you have to be conscious of the fact that if you leave a sign-up book out there for people's emails and phone numbers and things like that somebody can take a photo of that mm-hmm. and they they can grab that 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 data so you got to be conscious about making sure that you're not leaving all this information out there for just uh, for just anybody to, to pick up. You know, Peter, on that point about just being aware, especially in parishes where there are a lot of volunteers, and, and you know, most people are so good-hearted. It, it's, sometimes a lot of this stuff happens accidentally. But there can be nefarious cases, you know, where, where someone mm-hmm. is out there seeking to do harm, even right there in... in 
they come into your office. I mean, that's a, that's a strange thing. Um, but it's a, it's a terrible thing when it happens, but it does happen. And I remember for one of our stories, um, we were in touch with a parish, a reporter had been in touch with this parish. It was actually not in the U S but had been in touch with this parish back and forth communicating with the priest. And then we got this very strange message that said, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I don't want to be quoted anymore. And we're like, oh gosh, that's really strange, you know? And so we got in touch with the priest in a different way, not that email address. And sure enough, somebody had uh, intercepted that and, and, and communicated using his password and his email address, and it was not him. <laughs> um, it, you wow. know, that, that's really crazy. Um, but it, it happened. And, um, and obviously, it was a sensitive issue in the parish, and somebody who had access didn't really want that communicated and was going to cut off the story and, and the priest's communication. So, you know, that's a dramatic situation. That's a dramatic case, but but it can happen. And just to, to know, uh, to be guarded mm-hmm. about those passwords and about the information and data and all of that, it's, it's yeah. hugely important. Um, Peter, you know... Uh, and awareness is key. Exactly. Awareness is key. Um, I think that's precisely right. That's why we would do a show like this or a story like this. I mean, you kind of think, oh, oh, come on, everybody catches these things. Or, or you even think, oh, like I did. What? what? A parish really has to deal with this? And, and sure enough, they do. So this kind mm-hmm. of awareness is really huge. Uh, this is Jeanette DeMello uh, speaking with Peter Jessera-Smith here on Register Radio about internet scams and how they can affect Catholic parishes. Peter, we have just like one minute left. And I, th- you cover technology and parishes and, and Catholic organizations so well. I mean, this is something you've, you've covered for quite some time. In this last year, I mean, we've seen parishes, as you've said, using technology so positively, getting online to communicate with their parishioners. But obviously, this is a downside. Just as a closing Mm -hmm. note, give us your suggestions on how we keep this a blessing and not a curse. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it it really is a blessing. So much of this technology has really helped connect parishes more tightly together, allowed you know, pastors to more efficiently communicate with their congregations. The best way to keep it a blessing, communicate regularly with your parishioners about, you know, your best practices and awareness that there are these things out there of internet scams and to be wary. If something doesn't seem right, feel free to double check. You know, there are, um, and if you experience this as a parish volunteer, stay calm just communicate with your pastor, who whoever is going on, and or whoever is is there. And you know, it, it. The reality is, is that this is a new area. But as we become more educated and aware about the, not just the blessings, but the dangers, uh, we'll all be the better for it. Absolutely. Well, Peter, thank you so much. Our listeners can go to ncregister.com and find the story, When Fishers of Men Go After Churches, Here's How to Escape Their Nets. And there's so much more news, analysis, and commentary at the National Catholic Register online. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. From Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.